Lord, we just are humbled by what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we are so grateful for the Holy Spirit and moving this morning during worship. Lord, you want to do great and mighty things through us. Lord, there are people that are lost. And Lord, you have given us a vision. You've given us a calling. God, you've given us the tools. You've equipped us, God. You've given us the compassion. Lord, I pray that if we are here today, this morning, and we've lost our joy, God, I pray that through this message, God, you would return our joy to us so that we can get involved, get plugged in, and to be able to be used the way you want to use us. Lord, I just thank you for what you've been doing already and what you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, probably it was almost, it it hasn't been quite a year, but it was at the Christmas service last year where I had reached a point where I had lost my joy. And, you know, it's easy to be in that place. Anybody ever felt that before? You've lost your joy. And you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're not moving. You feel like you just are down all the time. And we can't hide that, can we? (laughs) We can't hide it on our face. We, We try to put our mask on. We try to pretend that everything's good. But it's not something we can hide. It's not something that God wants us to stay in. And I remember Tom coming up to me that day. Actually, he texted me when I got home and said, are you okay? Because you don't act okay. And so that was the point of Tom and I decided together to kind of start this journey of finding our joy again. And I know Tom has shared a lot when he has preached about what God has been doing in his heart and his life. But we uh, started going through this book together. And I'll share that book with you at the end when I'm done. But Uh, As we started going on this journey, we started to discover our joy again. And I just wanted to start out this morning by just telling you what joy is a little bit, what it looks like. If we could bring the first slide up. But let me start out by saying what joy is not. Joy is not happiness. A lot of times people get those two things, they think they're the same, but they're not. Happiness depends upon that which happens, so your circumstances. It relates to a thing of chance. In fact, the word is from the Latin hap, meaning by chance or fortune. Joy, on the other hand, shapes our attitude to to our circumstances and surroundings. Let me say that again. Joy shapes our attitude toward to our circumstances and surroundings. Joy is set in reality. So you might be unhappy about maybe the waitress mixed up your order, or maybe you didn't 
get what, what, what you wanted for Christmas. <laughs> You're unhappy, but it has nothing to do with your joy. God wants our joy to be set in place. He wants it to be something that's firm inside of us. And, and happiness concerns itself more with the circumstance. So joy is set in reality while happiness concerns the circumstance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen him, you love him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's where God wants us to be. So when things happen, when situations happen, when we have circumstances that take place, we don't lose our joy. We have ourselves planted firmly in Christ, and we know who we are. Now, we're going to have a little bit of crowd participation. But when I say this, um, I want you to just share something really quickly. If we could have the mic, the handheld mic, um, I want a few of you to maybe come up and just share really quickly, not an entire testimony, <laughs> but just share something quickly about what joy looks like to you. Any volunteers? Eric's got the mic. No? I'd love to tell you, but I thought it would be more fun if some of you would tell us. Okay, we got somebody. Good. Tell us what joy looks like to you. Tell us what joy looks like to you. Joy um, in the midst of grief means a lot to me. Um, I've had very specific circumstances where I've had deep grief and going through um, a time of deep loss and all I could do was sing. And my heart was overflowing with the peace and the joy of Anybody else? What does joy look like to you? So I shared this in worship team this morning, but I'm going to share it again. So on December 6th, I'm going to have surgery. Um, in the third place, um, an artificial joint has been in for 18 years. The senior call talks about it. But I was at peace with that when a month ago I shared with worship team what was going on. I was at peace about that. But as they all prayed over me, and I knew everybody else was praying. Uh, even joy and grief with Gary. Everybody knows that Gary with me. But um, anyway, so what happened after that prayer this morning and being in the service and others praying for me, I felt such an, there's an old song that says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's exactly what I had. It literally carried me the entire week. I was only sleeping three to four hours a night and working full time. But it was as if, and I shared this, when I received the Holy Spirit when I was just 19, I was walking across Anderson College campus, and I was singing a beautiful Asian language, which I'd never sang in the Spirit before. But it was as if my feet were literally lifted up off the ground, and I was seeing myself being carried. I literally was carried all week long with unexplainable joy and peace and happiness and shouting and glory and joy unspeakable. Joy and grief seems to be a theme right now. Um, 
Michelle's father passed away yesterday, and so our, our family is going through a lot of grief. Um, and, and she has been unsure with his life of where he stands with his relationship with God. And this week, she was able to talk with him, and he answered in the affirmative with everything that she's been praying for for a long time. So we are grieving. Here's a few other things. Joy means someone is glad to be with me. And there were times where I doubted that. I'd be with friends, and in my mind, I'd be like, yeah, they don't really want to be with me. <laughs> They're just putting up with me. Joy is children jumping up and down when their dad or mom comes home from work or when they see their grandmother. Joy is a woman running to her husband. Joy is children playing. Joy is the smile we can help where he can't help but share. Joy is so special that God offers joy as his reward rather than anything else we could ever imagine. More than jewelry or good looks or popularity or a white smile or even faster internet service. <laughs> Jesus lists joy as the reason for his teaching in John chapter 17, verse 13 says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the measure of my joy within them. That was Jesus' desire, is that we would have that joy within us. We carry it with us. Because we're talking about all hands on deck and all the different things that are going to be starting this new year with our church and different ministries and different outreaches and different visions and different things that are going to be happening, we can't do those things unless we, as a body, are in a place of joy and we are settled and at peace with who we are in Him. Luke chapter 6, verse 23 Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Can you imagine what that's going to be like one day? I used to, my parents love listening to the Gaither music. And there's so much of that music that speaks of our eternal joy and being with him one day in heaven and the family of God and what a, what a day that's going to be. I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but I know that our Father, our God, is going to wrap us with joy. And He wants to do that now. He wants to wrap us with joy like a cloak, like a coat. And so that it's something we carry with us all the time. And we don't let our circumstances cause us to be like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. God doesn't desire for us to live like that. He wants us to be steady. And He wants us to have our security and our foundation in that joy. So, let me just talk about, again, joy in a little deeper context. The foundation of joy that is built in our first year of life profoundly influences our identity and relationships throughout our lifespan. 
one of the reasons why we go through inner healing. If you haven't ever done that, I think everyone needs to go through some inner healing. Everyone needs to go through some counseling at some point in their life because there are things that happen in our childhood that we carry with us. And it has been found that just within the first year of life, those things that happen can shape our identity and our relationships. Without joy as a foundation, many of the God-given capacities we receive at birth will not develop and not become strong and will be retained. The capacities and chemistry that we use as infants becomes the dominant systems in our brain. So there's a little science there for you. If we start our life in fear, we'll feel anxious about almost everything. And it's funny because I remember some of my furthest back memories are memories of being afraid. It was almost like the enemy had attacked me even that early age. Crying when you get your picture taken? I don't know if that's a normal thing for kids to do. Crying when you get your hair cut? (laughs) You know, having nightmares that were just wild stuff that I would have. You know, I would be fearful. And it wasn't, it went deeper than just being shy. It was, you know, there was something that the enemy was trying to do at an early age to take me out with fear. And I know many of us know what I'm talking about because many of us have struggled with anxiety and fear in our life. And so a lot of times it starts sometimes at the beginning of our life. If we cannot find joy, we may try hard to bury our desire, but we can never escape joy's power. So you get to a place where you guard yourself. You get to a place where you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable because you're afraid and you don't want any more of your joy to be taken. But God has built us to be joyful. He's built us to interact with each other with joy. I mean, you think about an infant, a baby, how excited they get when it's, you know, time to cuddle or when it's time to play or how excited a baby gets even just to be held and cuddled or to be fed. And that's the kind of, like, raw joy that we want to have in our life where we're walking in that. Joy is a high-energy state for the brain. The practice of joy, again, practicing that, it takes practice to rebuild that again, especially if you've had past trauma and you've had things in your life that you've carried with you. The practice of joy builds brain strength and the capacity to engage life with energy and creativity and endurance. And so I had found my place just, you know, last Christmas, I lost my creativity, lost my energy and my my endurance because of past hurts, because of disappointments, and you find yourself in a place where I'm stuck. I can't move forward anymore. I have to find my joy again. And that was the journey that Tom and I were on. And he had already kind of started that way before I did with his sabbatical. But as we got into this book, we really started to see there were areas in our life that needed to to be changed in order for us to get this joy back. 
When we are empowered by joy, we are able to suffer, we're able to withstand pain, and still maintain our relationships. Without joy, we view problems as a win-lose situation, black and white. We view others as enemies, and we solve problems with the option that causes us the least pain. Whatever the least thing that I have to do here to deal with this situation, that's what we find ourselves in. But God wants us to go deep and to even to face our pain and to deal with the things we need to deal with. And usually what happens that is at the expense of others because we end up taking it out on our loved ones or we're, we just kind of lose our zeal, we lose our passion, and we're not the same person that God designed us and had in mind for us to be. With joy, we're empowered to find creative, mutually satisfying solutions for problems and love to create simply because we can, because we find joy. I don't know if <laughs> I was having so much joy just playing the keyboards today. <laughs> I was having so much fun doing that. And I could just feel the Holy Spirit in this place. And when we were doing that song about hello peace, yep. hello joy, there was something that took place in the house. There's a joy that God wants to give you this morning. And when you find that again, and sometimes it's just going back. I've been this past year just going back to original things that I used to love doing when I was a kid and finding my joy, finding my, my Chris again. <laughs> and not being ashamed of who God created me to be, but just being real. Now, the journey to joy, I want to look at that for a moment, it has four elements that a lot of times start with. We'll start with guilt, then move to grace, then gratitude, and then joy. So guilt, sometimes where we start, even as sinners, people that we, we, we find ourselves Maybe we don't know the Lord, and we find ourselves aware of where we are in our sin. Guilt provides awareness of the reality of our position before God. We need to have guilt. <laughs> it's not something that we want to walk in and live in, but you want to get to a place of humility when you decide you've had enough, and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired, <laughs> and you're ready to change. So guilt could be in your sin that you're wallowing in, or maybe your self-doubt, your depression, or whatever it is you're struggling with. But it's the reality of our state of our soul at the moment. So, for instance, lust is a condition of our sin. And the Bible says, for all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. And in this state, our life is terminal. When you're not saved, the ending is, again, death and hell. We are enslaved by sin, unable to set our lives or set ourselves free from ourselves. Thus, the misery we live in and that day-to-day -day existence. And then humans need an awareness of our sin and our misery in order to seek Jesus as Savior. The Holy Spirit provides this light to reveal our sin. 
the state of our misery. Just like the prophetic word that was given after the tongue, the light, the light has come, and God wants us to pursue the light. He wants us to allow that light to reveal what it needs to reveal so we can deal with it and find forgiveness and move forward. So then we move into grace. Grace is the answer to guilt. The answer to guilt is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. By grace, God provided an answer to sin's punishment. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 4, 5, And you he made alive. Aren't you glad to be made alive this morning? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm alive. I'm awake. (laughs) I'm alive. Yeah. It wakes you up a little bit. We are alive in Him. He made us alive, and we were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Aren't you glad to be alive in Christ this morning? By His grace, you have been saved. Now, it's Thanksgiving time, (laughs) and I'm sure there's lots of ministers maybe preaching the Thanksgiving message of gratitude, but when we go from guilt to grace, the next place is gratitude. I don't know how many people I've seen that have, you know, given testimonies of when they got saved and when they've given their heart to the Lord and how excited they are and how thankful and how grateful they are. If you think about when you got saved and if you remember how like different you were, it was like the honeymoon, you know, experience like you're feeling that joy overflowing and you're so thankful and so grateful for what God did for you. And so one of the things to to find joy again is that area of gratitude. And you think about the innocence of someone that gives their heart to Jesus for the first time. They're like a new creation. They're a child in Christ. And they're so excited and so grateful and thankful. And I, you know, as we walked with the Lord for many years, and I've been a Christian all my life. And I grew up in a Christian home. And so it's easy when you walk with Him for a long time. And we allow the world to come in and creep in. We allow the enemy to speak those lies to us. We start to walk in this place where we don't have that joy like we used to. And we don't walk in that gratitude. So that's why it's so important to always reflect on him every day. Reflect on what he did for you. What he did for you on the cross. Reflect on who he is. And he is our savior. The most first and most important thing he is beyond anything is he is our Savior. And we need to be grateful. So grace evokes gratitude. We were once lost, destined to death, but now we are saved. The state of being saved produces gratitude. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. John Newton. He wrote that. John Newton was alive from 1725 to 1807. 
Now, the last place, this journey of going from guilt to grace to gratitude, and now we lead into joy. If grace evokes gratitude, gratitude evokes joy. The impact of a heart of gratitude is deep-seated in joy, being the objective of reality in the same way as is our sinful state was an objective reality. So your guilt, when you're a sinner, and the state that you're in is a reality, but now we are in Him, we are a new creation in Christ, and we are set free from our sin, and now we can walk in joy. Because we move from guilt to grace to gratitude and now joy. Amen. And finding that we can walk in that. And there can be an abundance of it that never stops. That overflows continuously. And you find joy in the smallest things. Just like playing piano. <laughs> or whatever it is. Finding joy in your artwork. Um, but we have to beware that the enemy, the evil one, who wants to rob us of our joy. If you look inward, and if you stay there too long and just wallow in all this stuff, the enemy lies to us. And I was just talking to somebody this morning about that very thing that we deal with many times, that our mind is a battlefield. And I call those little lies that go through our head a script. And that's why it's so important for us to go through inner healing and to deal with the things that, you know, that are going on inside of us so that we can get rid of those scripts and getting into the word and spending time with him, increasing your identity, increasing your, your identity in him through the word. You know, um, there's been many times where I have had everything I needed to do something, but I allowed myself to be my worst enemy because I listened to those lies. Some of them may have been from the devil. Some of them may have been just me, you know, believing in something. And then just, then I start to talk that talk in my mind. But God wants us to be able to get to a place where we can identify those lies and we can move past it. Now, I want to focus on gratitude for a moment. Um, one of the powerful things about gratitude that I've learned uh, since I've been a school counselor last year, uh, well, actually last summer, I just finished my master's degree in school counseling, and now I'm a full-fledged licensed school counselor. And one of the things that I've noticed that is a, a huge thing that helps kids because I'll get kids that will come down and they want to talk and they're like, oh, I just feel sad. I'm depressed. I don't know why. I, don't, I can't figure it out. And so there was this one girl. I said, well, let's do this. And I have all these blank journals. I have just, I said, why don't you pick one out? She picked a journal out. And I said, I want you to start writing down all the things in this journal. Just fill up as many pages as you can of things that you're thankful for. I want you to start thinking about what is it that you're grateful for? What is it you're, you're glad about and excited about? And then I said, after that, I want you to write down all the things that you love, your favorite places, your favorite people, your favorite foods, all your favorites. Write down everything that you can think of that comes to mind that are your favorites. 
Well, a couple weeks later, you know, we get these notes when a kid wants to see us. They give to the secretary, and then she gives them to us. And this girl put, I have great news. And I'm like, that's really good to see because most of it is like bad news, <laughs> you know. Most of the time, we don't get that. And so I was like, this is cool. It's got some good news to share. She comes in, and she's like, I did what you said. I wrote in my journal, and I wrote down all the things I was thankful for and grateful for. And she said, it really made a difference. She goes, I, I'm not as, you know, she said, now, you know, my problems aren't gone completely. And she goes, the stuff I'm dealing with with my family, it's still there. But she said, focusing on this stuff that I'm thankful for and starting thinking about all the favorite things and all the good things in my life, she goes, it really changed my attitude. And then I said, well, are you ready to take it another step further? And she said, yeah. And I go, okay, well, then let's do this. Next thing I want you to do is start finding moments during the day where you can help other people. And it could be just as simple as holding the door for somebody or complimenting somebody, you know, anything that you can think of. And I said, after a while, that'll become natural for you. But showing kindness, being respectful, you know, helping others, and that's going to take you to another level of joy as well. But I want, if the uh, guys in the back there in the booth, if you could pull up that video that I sent you, the little link. I want you to watch this because there's actual science that gratitude can change your mindset and gratitude also makes you happier. Research shows that adopting an attitude of gratitude, simply expressing appreciation and being more thankful can measurably improve your overall well-being. For example, Studies prove that gratitude can increase happiness, reduce depression, and strengthen resiliency. Grateful people often experience reduced blood pressure, less chronic pain, increased energy, even longer lives. People who purposefully express more gratitude report higher self-esteem than those who don't, and they're more likely to help others. A pro-social behavior also leads to greater happiness. People who capture grateful thoughts before bed sleep better than those who don't. Why so many positive changes? Because gratitude actually rewires our brains, kickstarting the production of dopamine and serotonin. Like antidepressants, these feel-good neurotransmitters activate the bliss center of the brain, creating feelings of happiness and contentment. This appears to be self-perpetuating. Research suggests that with regular practice, you'll train your prefrontal cortex to best appreciate and retain positive experiences and thoughts, and to deflect the negative ones. Here are a few simple ways to deliberately cultivate that attitude of gratitude. Celebrate minor accomplishments. Think about what you have, rather than dwell on what you don't. Tell the people in your life something you appreciate about them. Tell yourself too. Volunteer. Hold the door for a stranger, or simply smile more, and you'll probably feel better, as kindness and giving are connected to gratitude. Similar positive brain changes can occur from regular meditation and mindfulness. Keep a daily gratitude journal using an old-fashioned notebook or a high-tech app. The science is clear. Give gratitude a go. You'll be thankful you did it. Now, as Christians, we can meditate in his word, amen? amen. <laughs> and that's why it's so important to have our time with him every day, because that's what fills us up with who we are. 
our identity is built up because the world is going to tear it down. The world and all the different things we have to deal with can just tear us down. And we start to, again, believe those lies when we find ourselves in a place where we're just not where God wants us to be. So joy is natural response to grace. Grace produces gratitude and it induces joy. And it should be this thing that's natural for us. Now, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about tender responses towards weakness. You know, gratitude is one way to start. If you're not in that place of joy and that fullness of joy you want to be, gratitude is one of the best places to start. And we're going to, when we do our action plan in just a few minutes, we'll talk about that. But there's also this thing of how we respond towards our weakness, also towards the weakness of others. The best way to build my joyful identity comes by developing a tender heart towards weakness. When I was in that place last year, I wasn't only just kind of down and had lost my joy, but I was a grump, <laughs> you know? I wasn't really happy, and I, you know, didn't want to help. I didn't want to live my destiny of who I was supposed to be because you just lose your tenderness. You lose your tender heart. And in order for us to see the landscape of Newcastle change, in order for us to be able to get all hands on deck, one of the best places to start is, again, with humility and tenderness. We have to soften our, allow God to soften our hearts. Tenderness is just an attitude towards weakness in others but a response to our own weakness as well. Showing gratitude, showing compassion, helping others, loving others that are maybe weaker than us, people that are fragile or vulnerable. Every area of growth first appears in weakness and vulnerability. And it goes back to that thing of guilt. Same kind of thing that happens is when we allow God to humble us, we get to a final place where I'm tired of this, I'm sick and tired of living like this, I'm just sick and tired of being in this place, we have to then move to this place of weakness. Okay, God, I give it to you. I lay it all down at your feet. All my dreams, all the things that I thought I would do or this or that, you got to lay it all down. you got to lay it at his feet and let go of it. Because ultimately, all that we're going to have left in heaven, we're not going to have, you know, our ministries. We're not going to have our songs. I mean, I might remember songs that I wrote, or I might remember those things that I've done. I'm sure that I'm going to remember, but the thing that we're going to have when we're in eternity is, is God, is Him. And ultimately, our identity has to be solid in Him. And we have to know who we are in him. And that starts with a place of weakness and vulnerability. Now, this is kind of funny when I saw this. First off, just the names themselves, you know, predator, possum, protectors. But I call any group that you're a part of, you know, our church is our herd. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're part of the herd. <laughs> and... 
I, had, I told Tom something when we had breakfast together last year when we, he said, well, what's going on with you? You're, you're not yourself. I can tell you've lost your joy. So we met and had breakfast, and I said, well, when I had decided to come back to New Covenant, I had just decided that I was going to be a part of the herd, but I was just going to just be in the pasture and just kind of maybe die in the pasture. I'm happy with just staying here at New Covenant for the next 25 years and go ahead and just do whatever, you know, play drums or do some music. But, you know, beyond that, I think I've just lost all hope, so I'm just going to die in the pasture. And so when I saw this, we were studying this, it's like we're all part of this herd. And so I had found myself as a possum. Well, what is that? And then there are other people that are in our herd that are predators, and that's pretty self-explanatory. And then we have protectors. So let's look at these. Now, the first one we want to talk about is the protectors. This is where we want to all be. All hands on deck means that we need to be in a healthy place, in a place in our life, walking in this fullness of joy to where we can be a protector. We can't just rely on the people that are maybe on staff here or just relying on people that are pastors. We have to be a protector too. In order for us to be able to do the job that God wants us to do effectively in this city, in this region, we have to be able to get to a place where we're a protector. Protectors have a strong, joyful identity that welcomes others and has a tender hearts towards weakness. I wasn't in that place. Protectors do not exploit weakness, but instead we help vulnerable herd members grow in joy. Now, you don't have to have a master's degree. <laughs> you don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to have experience being a church planter to be able to walk in this and be a protector because we are with people all the time every day that are in a weak place amen we are with people all the time and so god wants us to get to a place where we can stop focusing on ourselves and how can we help others protectors they do not enable dysfunctional behavior so they're not causing more dysfunction their job is to be a protector and protect the weak, not start adding more gasoline to the flame of dysfunction. Anyone can learn protector skills at any stage of life, and it can start with gratitude and compassion towards others. The predators. Now, <laughs> I think sometimes I've been a predator, and sometimes I've been a possum. But let's look at a predator. Predators are their primary fear-based response style. So in your herd and group of people, there's always people that struggle with this because they're insecure. You know, one of the things I tell my kids at school when somebody says something hurtful, I go, well, you know, a lot of times hurting people, people that are hurt, will lash out at others and hurt others. And that's what a predator does. The brain is pre-wired for a predator response. So in our flesh in our natural state without God, without Christ, and even when we're just walking in this flesh and worldliness, we, our brain is like pre-wired to do this. We'll go back to this predator nature and start snapping and snipping and try to take people out because we're insecure. We're not happy for others when good things happen for them. We're just in this place of predatory lifestyle. Predators fiercely guard their positions 
and will hurt others in the herd if threatened. Spelled herd wrong. They do their best to hide their weaknesses and appear strong. So they put their mask on, and they're great at pretending, but they're really not in a great place. They are, they are the most common of the, the low-joy people in our herd. And then now the possums. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a possum? Possums. <laughs> possums are the other fear and anxiety-based response style. So again, these are response styles. You have people that are protectors, people that are predators, and then that are some that are possums. Possums do not occupy positions of dominance. Okay, so that's where I was at. I was in this place of, I've come back to New Covenant, and I'm just going to die in the herd, and I'll be over here in the corner if you need me. <laughs> and they, they try their best not to be exploited by the predators. So they're not vulnerable. They don't want to be seen. They're just stay over here, and I'll keep to myself, because if I don't bother anyone, they're not going to bother me. If I'm not challenging anyone, they're not going to, you know, lash out at me. So we just hide. Possums hide, they avoid, they minimize, withdraw, conceal their weakness as much as possible. Their low joy environment creates weaknesses and vulnerabilities that are impossible to conceal. So I was in a place as like, you know, Tom texts me and says, what's wrong with you? And I go, nothing. <laughs> Stop texting me. No, I know something's wrong with you. You can't hide it from me. You know, my wife. She can know right away, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. My daughter, she does that all the time. She looks into my soul. I'm like, stop looking at me. <laughs> what's wrong with you, Dad? Nothing. <laughs> there, a possum's low joy environment creates weakness and vulnerabilities that are, again, impossible to conceal. Predators, again, are on the prowl. They're looking for possums because if they can take them out, they'll feel less insecure about themselves and it makes them feel better. Again, hurting people want to hurt people, or if you're insecure, you, want, you don't want to see others succeed or thrive. You're focused on yourself. Now, protectors. Let's go back to protectors again, because this is what we're striving for. Protectors build joy. Protectors respond to weakness and create joy in at least three different ways. First way, protectors amplify or build. Whoops, I didn't mean to do that got excited and pushed the wrong button. Okay. Protectors amplify or build every little bit of joy they find instead of amplifying the problems and upsets. Low joy starts to become high joy. So instead of causing more drama and you know, adding more stuff to the herd, their, their goal is to amplify good things and to build joy and to build and to amplify those good things, not amplify more problems. There's a, again, I, I know you may be sick of my examples from school, but uh, there was a girl the other day, I said, you know, I said, uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to have soap operas on during the day. You guys ever remember the, the soap operas during the day? And my mom worked from, or she was a stay-at-home mom, and so sometimes, you know, she would watch soap operas. And, you know, if I was on a day off from school, I'd watch soap opera, too. Shouldn't, probably shouldn't have let me watch soap operas, but soap operas are filled with drama. And I told this one girl, I said, you know, I said, I've had enough interactions with you. I said, would you agree that you get involved in a lot of drama? She goes, yeah. And I go, and a lot of it doesn't even have to do with you. You just pull yourself in to this drama. And I said, 
your life is almost like a real-life soap opera because she's living in this drama all the time. And so that's what protectors want to help people not to, again, throw more gas on the fire to amplify all this drama. Protectors notice when people are tired and they let them rest. Last uh, the summer when Tom was taking his, his sabbatical, we learned about shalom. Shalom is important. Taking breaks, finding rest. So when I came back to New Covenant, I had been involved with different ministries and I helped plant a church with Lynn Furrow. And we were in a place, we were burned out. We needed some time to rest and find who we were again. Sharing the distress caused by weakness is a third thing, returning to joy after something has gone wrong. So something traumatic happens, something major happens in your life, or it could be even just a small problem that takes place. Instead of, again, diving down and going down deep into that, you know, that depression or all that stuff, when you're a protector, you are able to get yourself back into that joy again, that high joy mode, and you're also helping others. And sometimes you may have caused a problem and a protector may have been the one that caused the distress and they're still the one going in and trying to help get this person back to joy or get themselves back to joy. So these are the three areas that I just talked about. Protectors build joy, they help create shalom, it's okay to rest. So when you hear all hands on deck, that doesn't mean that we're going to burn you out and you're going to be like working every night and, you know, there has to be some balance and all that. But if you're not, you know, fulfilling even just the, the call that, that Jesus asks us to reach out to others and to, you know, to... We're, we're called to be witnesses, you know. There are things that all of us are called to, and if you're not stepping into those things, you're missing out on a joy-filled life. And so there are times you're going to need rest, and then every time you have a time that something happens, you go through some suffering, you're able to bounce back to his joy, and, and you're able to walk in that. That's why there's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy stays. You might be unhappy, you might be down, or you might be in a time of mourning, you might be in a time of distress, but you can always get back to joy, and you can find that joy again quickly. Now, protectors promote play. They join in joy. They show gratitude. They keep an expectancy and curiosity about what will grow from weakness. So they start looking at people for their prophetic potential. One of the incredible things I love about Sam Lunt is he sees the prophetic potential in anybody. At any age, he'll pull people into their gifting and get them to see who they are in Christ. He encourages and equips and empowers people in that. And that's one of the things I love about him. They let everyone rest when they need to rest. We amplify joy more than distress. We share all distress, including the distress that we might produce. Protectors keep problems, uh, they keep problems smaller than relationships. So people, say this with me, people are more important than their problems. So there may be people that you know that are struggling with things, but 
our relationship with them is most important. It's more important. We can help get them out of where they're at. We can help them get that out of their problems and get them to a better place. But if we're not loving people where they're at, we're missing it. We have to love them where they are, where they're at. So that's part of what a protector does. Maintain their own stability while they stabilize the weak. So we're maintaining our own stability. We're making sure that we're filling ourselves up with the word and spending time with Jesus every day. We encourage the weak to point out weakness in the strong, including the protector. So the protector is vulnerable and is also able to take, you know, if you look at somebody that's a pastor in your church and you say, hey, I think you need a break or you need some healing, they're able to receive that and not go into a defensive mode. And, and protectors encourage the weak to become protectors of the weakness around them. So we want to grow in joy and shalom, and we want to get to a place where we're always going back to joy, always going back to joy. Something gets us down, we have a bad day, it doesn't you know, cause us to be debilitized, or it doesn't cause us to be, you know, Unaffective, or you know, we are able to get back to where we need to be. Joy, shalom, and return to joy are characteristics of spiritually and emotionally mature people. I don't know about you, but I want to be emotionally mature, I want to be spiritually mature. And these three areas joy, shalom, and return to joy are, are you know, essential to that. They also help determine the kind of identity our family, school, church, and community share. So part of the herd, the body of Christ, this church body is, again, we're taking steps forward to be more of an impact in our community, to maybe expand some of our ministries, reach out to different types of people that we haven't maybe reached out to before or in a long time. We're seeing different things happen and taking place. And so there are people stepping up to new ministries and different things. And so this kind of protector identity and this lifestyle, when we're helping the weak, it helps us find our joy again. Because I don't know about you, but when I help people and when I'm doing good things and I'm thankful and I'm walking in that, I am more happy and more joyful because I am walking in who God meant for me to be. Amen. So we want joy, shalom, and we want this aspect of returning to joy to spread to the group around us. One of the ways this starts, again, is going back to just a basic thing of gratitude. Oh, well, you know, this was a hard sermon to do because there is so much stuff in this. Like, you know, we took several weeks going through this book and dissecting it. And I just gave you a little bitty picture of just how amazing this is. Now, before we do the action plan, let me just point to this book. If you're finding yourself where you are lacking joy and you're not, you know, in that place that you want to be, this is a great book. Joy Starts Here. And uh, James Wilder, and there's some other authors there that are, are a part of it. Many of these guys have done counseling and different ministries and with uh, churches, and they have a lot of experience. And so a lot of the stuff I gave you today was from this book. Now, let's look at our action plan. Let's just start with the area of gratitude. So you can pick one of these things, how it relates to you. 
Uh, tell each one of your family members three qualities you appreciate about their character and presence. Now, when I did this for the first time with the book, when I told my wife, I, you know, it, it asked us to do this as an assignment in the book. I started telling my wife some appreciative things. She goes, well, thank you. She goes, are you okay? <laughs> and so when she responds like that, you know that you probably haven't been practicing gratitude and appreciation the way you're supposed to. <laughs> or when you text a friend and tell them something nice, they're like, who is this? <laughs> and so at first it's going to be a kind of unnatural. It won't feel, it'll feel a little bit weird. It'll feel somewhat forced because you're like, okay, I'll tell somebody I appreciate them. But we, God wants us to walk in this all the time. Amen. And so, you know, pick a family member, three qualities you appreciate about their character and presence. Be specific with each person about the things, misspell the word again, which you are thankful. I thought I'd proofread it. Students, if you're a student here, I want you to express at least two qualities you appreciate to three of your classmates or one of your teachers. That might, you know, and maybe say something you like about that teacher you don't like. <laughs> it's always easy to compliment the teachers you love, but how about that teacher that you just don't quite understand? Tell them something that you appreciate about them. I'm sure you can find something. Work. If you have a job, express appreciation to three of your coworkers or colleagues. And then church, our body, express appreciation specifically to a pastor or a secretary or somebody that's in your church that's working in the ministry. You could do it through a note or a text or a phone call. And then include what you appreciate about their presence in their ministry. Don't just say, thank you, Pastor Eric, I love you. But be specific. And, you know, when I get messages like that, when they're specific, you know, when somebody comes up to me and says, I love you, and I love this about you, it means so much more because it's something specific and detailed. And I guarantee if you do some of this, this week and you start walking in this, this isn't just something we just do for a week. This is something you can do daily. In fact, Tom got me onto a, you know, an app, a gratitude app. And so it helps you practice this art and this attitude of gratitude every day. So there's the book again. And let's not forget about here are journal scriptures, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 80 and memorize Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Let's stand this morning. Lord, we are so grateful this morning that you are trying to speak to us, God, to be able to step out beyond our disbelief, beyond our insecurities. You are calling us to step out beyond what the enemy tries to lie to us about. God, you are calling us to a higher place. And God, I ask for you right now as I speak that your anointing would touch each person, that we would not settle for being in just a mediocre place with you. God, we have dreams in our heart. We have things that you've called us to do. We have ideas. We have things that we need to be sharing with our herd. God, we have things that we need to step up to 
to be the protectors of this city, to be protectors of the people in our church, to be protectors in the people of our family, God. Help us to step up to that place of being a protector, to no longer be a possum, to no longer be a predator, not to be just focused on ourselves, but God, help us to put our eyes upon you and knowing who we are in you. Lord, that our identity is in you, Christ Jesus. And that no more that we're going to walk in this low joy mentality. God, I pray for high joy, high joy to be in your people this morning. That way we would walk out of this place and be grateful and thankful, God, for everything you've done for us. And where you've brought us from and where you're taking us to be. And we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.